Well, it's been totally enjoyable to have you here this weekend and to just see men again together outside, enjoying each other, enjoying God's creation. So it's been a thrill for me to see that, and I hope a thrill for you, because that's, hopefully we just get back to this kind of stuff and enjoy it again, and enjoy each other, and enjoy God, and enjoy what we were meant to enjoy. So fun stuff, and I'm glad you came, and, and uh, boy, it's, I hope we can get things back to, I, I don't want to say normal, better than normal. Something like that. Um, it's intriguing to me. I, I like um, I, I, an old hockey football player that I am. I, I like flowers. Uh, I've always been intrigued by flowers. Flowers have a very specific purpose. Except for one. Most flowers, almost all, their purpose is to be fragrant attractive, bright, for the purpose of reproduction. And it reminds me of how I'm supposed to be. See, I, I'm, I am, flowers are different. You look at them, something about them, you look at them and go, hmm. Kind of go toward them. You know, they have a fragrance, they have a, you like them. They're pleasant. And I think, well, that should describe those of us that love God. We're, people want to be around us. N not because of us, but because we want to reproduce spiritually in their life. They, they see something that's attracting. So they start coming around. And they, th this plant is kind of interesting. It's, this is a, an orchard. It's a tropical orchard. Or, or, orchid. Orchard. <laughs> I can't speak either. In tropical forests, the orchids thrust out long floating roots into midair from the impure vapors from which they draw their nourishment. They live on trunks of huge decaying trees, which as decomposition proceeds very rapidly would be left alone, would fill the air with poisonous gases. But the orchid swings into its rich festoons. Don't you love that word? I don't even know what that is but they've got festoons that are rich. I'm sorry, I should have looked it up and acted intelligent, but I am an old hockey football player, so it has festoons. It has festoons over the rotting boughs, covers the deformity with its own loveliness, absorbs all foul odors, and turns them into perfumes of its own sweet flower. So you got this, you got this orchid that clings to this rotten trunk. It's giving off this poisonous gas, and by the time it's done with it, it smells good. Isn't that what we do as Christians with the world? Aren't we the ones that absorb all that junk and say, when you look at it after it goes through me, it's not, it's it's good. That's why sometimes when, when people go through hard times in life and they say, well, if you only understood where I've come from and all, that's fine. Let's turn it into something good. Let's, let's take whatever experiences you had and, and let's put them through the filter of God's mercy and his grace and his love and see where it goes. When you do that, you clean up the air. You clean up all things. You know, it's interesting Differences that make a difference. I, I think that in time, the church, people who are believers, sometimes like, well, we're supposed to be different. So they just act different. And I think that's the goal. The goal isn't that we're different. The goal is that the difference actually makes a change. So, so the goal, again, is that we get to represent who the king is. We get to represent Christ. So if I'm different... It's to attract, I mean, these flowers, you go and see these orchids growing in the forest, it's different than the rotting wood. It's contrasted, so you go, hmm, what is that? Smells good. Take it away, you're gonna die. See, they, they transform the world around them. I, I, there's so many things in nature that do this. Maple trees, give us the maple syrup, right? You think about the process. Dirty, mucky water that if you drank, you'd probably die. Goes into the ground. Gets dirtier, muckier. 
goes into the roots and up the tree. And when it goes up the tree, it goes to the leaf, and the leaf, green, the dirty, mucky water combines with chlorophyll, carbon dioxide, sunlight, purifies it, turns it into sugar, sends it back down the tree. It takes the junk and it adds the good stuff that purifies it and then the carbon dioxide that it took in, it gives off oxygen. Oxygen is a great cleansing agent. You always plant trees and plants to clean up the air. Why? Because they take the junk and they transform it with what they absorb and they absorb it through the right stuff. I, when I look at this, I think, God, I need, to, I need to know your word and I need to put everything through that. When Dave Wager sees a sinful world, I need to be able to take what I see and put it through your word. Combine it with your mercy and your grace and the understanding of your forgiveness and see what it looks like when I'm done. I, I'm not going to celebrate the sin. I'm not going to celebrate the mucky water. I'm going to take it and I'm going to put it where it belongs. And I'm going to combine it with the stuff you gave it to me to combine it with so that I can use it. Some of you have had some really rough experiences in life, some really past experiences you wish you could get rid of. I, I don't wish you had those experiences, but look, take them, filter them right, and let God use them. Clean up the air around you. Clean up the people around you. There's no reason that we have to live in this generational sin thing. There's, there's people that think, well, my family was like this, and my, my, my great-grandparents were like that, and, and I'm like that. Let's clean it up. Let's put it through the right filters. There's so many things in life that we begin to understand. It's kind of like I used to do a, a series. I was intrigued by how they made yachts, and I went somewhere over here where they made them, and I went and looked at how they made them, and, and I was intrigued by it. But here's one of the little simple principles. The, the guy who designed the yacht said, you do know that yachts were not meant to be in dry dock. Yeah. You're supposed to be in the water. He goes, exactly. That's how we design them. But we also design it so the water can never be in the yacht. Oh, so the yacht is made for the water, but the water can't be in the yacht. Right. I thought, that's how I'm supposed to be. I need to be in this world. But I really can't let the world into me. But I'm made to be in it. You see how it contrasts things? The flower goes onto this rotten log that's given off poisonous gas and it's made to be there to absorb the poisonous gas and give off clean air. I'm made to be in a rotten world. I am. But I'm made to be in that world, but not let the world in me. You've all had boats, it's fishing season, so you've all had boats where maybe, if you've had a boat, it leaks. If you've had old boats like I've had, they leak. I should say that. Maybe you have nice boats, but my boats tended to not be good. Do you know what happens every time you go to the boat? You're bailing it. You're spending, what happens when a yacht leaks? You're spending all your time on the water in the boat that doesn't belong there. Everyone else is going, didn't you buy this to enjoy the ocean and enjoy the... Yeah, but most of the time I'm underneath with a bucket. Why? Because I can't let the water in there. We won't work, so I have to concentrate on that. Well, why don't you make it so it doesn't come in? Do you know what you're asking? There's a lot of water out there. I know, but you're not supposed to let it in. In fact, the engineers for the yacht told me, what we do is we, we make it so that you never, you should never need to dry dock this thing. It should never let water in. Not only that, when it travels, we have a touch as little of the water as possible. Because the more it's in the water, the harder and the more energy you need to go through the water. And I thought, that is so like the Christian life. The more I'm in the world and I stay in there and then I need all the spiritual energy, I need more because I'm so into it. 
Well, get out of it a little bit. Not completely, because you're not meant to get out of it completely, but you're not meant to be underwater either. See, there's this balance that we're made to have. The world, we, we recognize the world for what it is, but we live in the world. So I have to be a part of this world, and the world's lost, and the world's broken. And I understand that, but I live in it. I gotta be the flower, I have to be the orchid, I have to be the, the, the boat, I have to be the maple tree. I have to combine with the right stuff so that it works. And that's what a lot of times we don't do. We don't combine with the right stuff. So it doesn't work. Or we let the water in and we don't think that's a problem. We have tendencies. What I want to do is talk to you about some of the tendencies that we have and, and be just very practical with what we need to do. It's, it's kind of like if, if you came to me one day and, and I'm at the edge of my house and, and I've got this big fire going. Okay, and I got this fire because we're burning up wood and I got this fire going. You come, how you doing? I go, um, I know it's rough, man. This fire's out of control. And I grab some more wood and I throw it on. And you go, well, yeah. Yeah, I said, I, I'm worried, man. This fire, phew, I've never seen one this big. And I grab another log and I throw it on. And, and your logic is starting to kick in. And mine, you're wondering about my brain. Because I keep telling you, I'm really concerned about this fire. And I keep feeding it. You see, if I quit putting fuel on the fire, it'll die down. If I keep putting fuel on the fire, it's going to keep raging. There's this principle. You fuel the fire. Some people, they come and they, they really, what they're asking God to do is they're asking God to take away their desires completely that aren't right. Put the fire out, God. In reality, desires are always going to be there. You're going to have this thing called dopamine. There's going to be desires in your life. They're always going to be there. You're not a robot. God did not make you so that you just, yes, God, yes, God. And I walk around. That's not love. That's not, that's not what, how he made us. So what you have to understand is that you have to be careful not to fuel the passions. There's, there's ways that you fuel things that you got to say, no, that fuels it. I, I better not do that. Why? It, it. Some people say, you know, why doesn't God make it so I just don't lust anymore, you know? I've asked them. And so tell me about your life. You know, or, you know what, I watch too much TV. I wish God would take that desire away from me. Okay. Why do you watch it? Because I, I told you, I have the desire. Oh, okay. You do everything you have a desire? I have the desire to punch you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Do you do everything you desire? Is that what you do? Well, no. You know what? If you're, if you're struggling with watching too much TV, why'd you buy a 3,000-inch television and put it in your living room? Why don't you buy a little black and white ugly thing? I wouldn't want to watch that. I'm talking fuel here. You know, you spend too much time on the internet. Cancel your media accounts. Oh, come on. Don't fuel stuff. Yeah, well, I'll always have the desire. You, you may always have the desire to watch television. You may always have the desire to lust or to be greedy. or to. You may always have that, but, but it's your choice whether you're going to fuel it or not. Little fires are very controllable. But when you keep fueling it, they get out of control. Stop the fuel. Well, Dave, that's hard. As I throw more wood on the fire? I know it is. You know, I, I know people struggle with maybe eating habits, for example. I tell them, well, don't fill your refrigerator till it's stuffed. Don't, don't have the stuff so that it's easy to get. Say, wait, there you go, being legalistic. No, remember the goal thing and the process thing? This is the fuel thing. 
Don't fuel things that aren't right. Don't, don't make it easy for them to happen. That's really, that's, when you look at it, when people start talking about why they can't change in, the, in life, why they can't, why they feel like victims of whatever lifestyle they're in, they usually give us these reasons. Number one, environment. Yeah, I can't. If you understood how I live, well, I understand that. But, but once again, we've gone through some processes here. What you need to be able to do is say, you know what, God? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to confess my sin. See, that's how it starts. You, you call sin a sin. Even if it's in your family, you do. Because God still loves you and loves everyone in your family, but you say, that's not right. So you admit that. That's, that's confession. And, and now you're on the track to get this settled. But it has to start with, with the understanding and acknowledgement of sin. All of us in our families, no one grew up with perfect parents. Only one person had a perfect child. That was Mary. So there's no perfect family. So every one of us can look back in our families and see things that were done wrong, incorrectly, not right, that were habitual. All of us. Recognize them. You take that and you begin to purify through God's word and what he said. You begin to think of the position you have as a child again, how it doesn't need to be the same as it was. My dad, I, I, I'm biased, of course, but I would tell you my dad's probably the best dad that a kid could have ever had. And his dad was a bad alcoholic who beat him, wasn't a believer, didn't even want him, it, didn't want him around. Ran off, lived in different you know, states, came back, used my grandma, beat his kids. My dad understood what it was to be abused and neglected. Do you know that I never experienced abuse or neglect? He took what he saw, put it through God's word. Got involved with a mentor who loved God and took the place of his own dad. And he was able to change the direction of history with what he understood, what he... Sometimes we say, well, I don't want to talk about what we shouldn't be. Oh, you better. Remember I, earlier I said, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. God in the Bible often will talk about negatives to make sure you have an idea of what you're really doing. This, bad. So I call it bad. This is bad. I call it bad. Now, that doesn't mean I don't have any problems. It just means I've identified it. I've confessed it. Let's go. Let's see what we can do now. Let's get a process in place to get out of here. Not only that, I can use it. So you can ask any of the MBI students. I'm always talking about marriage, family, etc. Why? Because I saw a really good one in my parents, and I have a really good one. I think, wow, this is what we need to do. Because there's so many that are rotten. Why are they rotten? Let's get the ones that work and let people see them. Kid comes and says, I don't know what a marriage is supposed to be like. Go hang out with somebody who does. Right, they'll purify it for you. Look, marriage can work. It can. It can be one of the best things that happens to somebody. It can be really, really, really good. How often do you hear that? Can you ask me, what's one of the best things you did in life? Get married. Really? Yeah. Is it, so you have this perfect marriage? No, she's married to me. <laughs> we have an interesting marriage. But I understand that environment affects a lot of things in life. So I'm going to make sure that my environment, I don't, I don't use it to fuel stupidity. I don't use it to fuel arrogance. I don't use it to fuel my failures. We, we like to blame family, friends, media. Man, well, change your friends. You can't change your family. Change your friends. You see stuff in a family that's not right in, in your history. Call it not right. 
I can't do that. Really, isn't that where we are as a country where we can't say we disagree with someone without telling them we don't love them? That's a lie. That is an, an absolute lie. I can disagree with you and still care deeply for you. And we can talk about it even. I, confession, I like some Bear fans. No. I do think Bear fans are misled. They don't know what they're talking about. They've got the worst team in the world. Right? But actually, I like them. They're my friends. That's what I'm talking about. We can tell people we disagree with them and still respect them and love them and care for them. In fact, we must. We must do that. To, to make the error, to think that because someone's in our family, we love them, we cannot challenge them, is ludicrous. And if you and I are using family, friends, to be able to say, you know what, I can't confront them. Why? Because they're my family and my friends. It's like, then you don't have a solid relationship with them in the first place. One of the things you should realize is that, at least in, in my family, you know, like, we're family. No matter what happens, no matter whether we agree, disagree, and my brother is my brother. I know he's ugly. He's still my brother. He's not really that ugly. I just always say that. But the bottom line really is, we need to be able to have honest conversations. We can help each other if we do that. So you fuel the fire of ignorance and the, and the, and the myth of getting along when you, you can't be honest with people in your life. A lot of times we seek comfort over truth. We, we, really, we really want to earn our acceptance. So we work at it. Do you, do you know that you can't earn acceptance? Again, you're putting it through the right filters if you know that. Here's the other thing that's really critical that I'm sorry you hear me say this all the time, but you gotta understand that in life you're not needed. Nobody is. God doesn't need you to be God. Here's what's special, he wants you. I've said this often to my wife, I really have. I said, I don't need you. She just looks at me and smiles. She knows where I'm going. I want you. Do you know that's what each of us want? But yet, for some reason, we keep trying to be needed. We keep trying to be needed by people, family, business. Look, wherever you work, don't go there tomorrow. Don't go for a week. It'll keep going. You're not needed. God doesn't need you to be God. He doesn't need you to make sure the sun comes up tomorrow. But he wants you. So you can bask in the specialness of the fact. You are so free because you're not really working at being needed. You're not doing things where you hope, I hope they don't find this out because they realize I'm not needed. And God would tap you on the shoulder and go, I already know that. Dave, regardless, you with me? You're not with me? I still win. I'm still God. I still do it right. What do I get to do then? I get to be amazed that he wants me. I get to put my wife in the same category where I never treat her like I need her. Although I sometimes wonder because I'm not sure how to do laundry. <laughs> but I think I can figure it out. But I always want her to know she's wanted. You see, the tendencies in our life is to try and be needed. 
to try and make false peace, to try and, and, and keep our family calm. So we never really progress. Because what we're really meant to do is get in the middle of all this stuff and absorb it all, put it through the right filters and give off a really wonderful smell. Not ignore it. Sometimes the fuel of criticism is, is so powerful in our lives, especially as Christians, we struggle with this. Especially when it comes to politics. Dead-end criticism actually fuels hatred. Dead-end criticism is when we just say, this guy's no good, and you don't, okay, that, we're all sinners, all of us. Look, I may not agree with the current president, but I do know this, I've never sat in on a cabinet meeting. I really don't know why he makes the decisions he does, and I have no idea of all the inputs that go into that office for any of the presidents, not just him. I need to be careful when I start knowing more than they know about foreign policy. Here's what I do know, though. I can pray for that man. I can care that, that he's a husband, a father. I can respectfully pray for him as our president. I can ask God to draw him to himself. Or I could criticize him. Once again, it's not again that I need to agree with the policies of anybody in place. I don't need to do that. Neither do you. Healthy debate is good. Healthy discussion is good. Public people often have public debates. I, I do podcasts and radio and that kind of thing. If somebody in public wants to disagree with me, they have the right to do that because I'm out there. That would be a public forum. That's fine. My wife isn't out there. Don't do that to her. Go talk to her one-on-one. -on -one. That's a different story. See, criticism, eventually, it's like people we disagree with. We can just criticize them in a dead-end way, and all we're doing is creating hatred. So now you get a nation where people are saying, why do we hate each other so much? Because we criticize each other so much. And criticism, not constructive criticism, but criticism fuels hatred. Constructive criticism is different, by the way. Constructive criticism is saying, I disagree with you. Here's what I think we can do to fix it. That's constructive criticism. So... If I find myself criticizing the president, I usually, the next day, I usually say, okay, I need to write him a letter and say, here's what I think we should do. Because it needs to be constructive. And I have. I, I've talked about the debt. I think that we should not be a nation in debt. So I've, I've written the president. I said, I think my wife should be in charge of the economy. <laughs> Literally, I told him that. I said, because she knows that you don't spend more than you earn. And I think as a nation, that's the answer. So I turned it from just dead-end criticism to this is what I think we should do. We should do something where we don't go into debt. That's my idea. I know that's very general. And I know I don't understand all the columns. I would never understand all the columns in whatever the government sheet they use. But I want to boil it down to a simple principle. See, I think it's so easy for us as believers when we see people who don't get it to criticize them. And criticism that's dead end usually ends up in hatred. We end up not liking those people at all. I, I love the idea of when you see someone doing something they shouldn't do, to be able to quickly in my mind be able to say, there, apart from the grace of God, go I. I, too, could be that way. But I'm not because I had a dad and a mom who filtered stuff through the right filters, who gave me an example, who brought me up knowing the scriptures. But if I didn't have that, I could be that guy, this guy, 
I, I could be that guy. We need to be careful. Proverbs 10, 12 says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers the offenses. Think, oh, we shouldn't be covering offenses. We need to expose them. Once again, I need to be somebody, if I'm going to be critical of somebody, I need to have some answers for them, not just say they're bums. There's seven fuels that are listed, and I don't want to spend forever on each of these. We could. I encourage you to go look at them. In Proverbs 6 and Psalms, and I can give you the different passages, but there's seven fuels. Haughty eyes, lying tongue, hands shedding innocent blood, heart devising wicked plans, feet running to evil, false witness, one who sows discord. These are fuels that start fueling something else in a bad way. And God says, you know what? Don't get involved in this stuff. It, 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 the, the connotation basically is, you know, you're actually going to want to get involved in this? That's why I have to warn you not to. God doesn't give us warnings about things we have no desire to do. You know, like, God wouldn't have to put in the Bible to me, Dave, don't wear a tutu. I don't even know what they are, and I wouldn't wear one. No desire. I'm not, I don't need to be warned against it. But God does warn us against stuff that we would tend to want to do that could turn on us. And these are things that we would tend to want to do, believe it or not. Proverbs 6.16 says there are six things, seven things that are abominational. Haughty eyes looking at somebody and thinking, I'm so glad I'm not them. Believe it or not, we're going to want to do that. Why? Because really, we're not filtering things right. We don't realize that any status that we have, any status that Dave Wager has, is because of the mercy and the grace of God. Do you realize that I was born to Richard and Joyce Wager and I never chose to be? I just showed up one day and they were there. I didn't choose to be their child. I did not choose to be born in Chicago. I did not choose to have the, I didn't choose all that stuff. I just got it thrust upon me. I could have been born somewhere. I, I've been in Africa during an Ebola breakout. I could have been born there and during the Ebola breakout. I wasn't. I was born here to these people this way. What right do I have to look at somebody else with pride in my eyes to say, boy, I'm glad I'm not you. See, we all tend to think that way. Whether we overtly think it or not, we tend to. God says, boy, I hate that when you do that. I created every individual I did. God would say that. I love them all. You have had opportunities that that person never had. Did you ever think of that? You'd be that orchid for me, would you? Would you clean it up around them so they can see what it looks like? Psalm 104 talks about what haughty eyes look like. You know, a false witness, so easy to start spreading things you don't really know. Discord. We keep trying to build alliances because we think that alliances show that we're right. Do you realize you can be in a majority of what people think and still be wrong? Because majorities don't necessarily determine anything right or wrong. They're just majorities. And majorities are really open to propaganda. Yet, what we do is we go around and say, you know what, you got to understand. So I'm trying to get you on my team. Right, because we got a bunch of guys that think you're an idiot. Enough of us think that way. Pfft, you're an idiot. After all, could all these people be wrong? God hates that. Why? Because it doesn't work, and it's stupid. It, it, it's, it's a tool. Of the, it's a fuel for evil. Just like a false witness or hands that shed innocent blood. I, I can't help but think of the abortion issue there. God hates hands that shed innocent blood. The most vulnerable people in the world 
we should not kill. That's as simple as it gets. I know. Don't get political on us, Dave. This isn't political. God hates hands that shed innocent blood. That's what he said. There's not any more innocent than children. We don't destroy children. We love them. We provide places for them to be nurtured and cared for. We don't destroy them. Hearts that devise wicked plans. If I had time to go into that with wicked plans or plans that just benefit me, they have nothing to do with the kingdom, they have nothing to do. You know, hearts that just devise things so that somehow I'm the winner. I really don't care about you. That's a wicked plan. Feet that run to evil. There's so many times where I think, whether it be media, entertainment, whatever, people are so anxious to run to it. And it's like, why do you go there and get that into your head? Do you know what, what you're watching or being entertained with is evil? Oh, yeah, but it's just pretend. The normalization process of evil is always wrong. The things that haughty eyes, lying tongue, false, these are things that fuel other problems. They shouldn't be a part of our life. How did Jesus really change the world? If anything, he did a controlled burn. He didn't fuel the things he shouldn't. I mean, he did burn the things up that he should. It's, it's, it's incredible. I need to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I need to love other people as God is my example. Do you realize that God really didn't benefit by what he did? We did. We're the benefiters, not him. It's very much, I've used this example a lot, but it's very much like an adopted child. As an adopted child, I don't offer the adoptive parents anything except for my neediness. That's all I offer them. They're the ones who supply the home, the money, the resources, the kindness. It's all up to them. Me, what do I give them? A crabby child who's needy. That's it? Yeah, I didn't really contribute anything to it. When I understand that, I start to treat them in a certain way. But for a lot of times, if I start as a baby, I don't understand that. But the truth is, it's their mercy, it's their kindness, it's their generosity that gave me my position. It isn't mine, it's theirs. That's what Jesus did for all of us. You and I were separated from God because of our sin. Remember, God's not tolerant. You want to live in sin? He said to Adam and Eve, you, you can sin. You can eat of any tree except for that one. And, of course, Satan got right in there and started to feed him lies. And they bought it. And everyone ever since then has been sinful and separated from God. Now, if we all stayed separated from God, God would still be God. If we all stayed separated from God, God would have less hassles. I've heard guys in ministry joke, ministry would be great except for the people. <laughs> and the truth is that God would still be God without us. But in my sinful condition, my disobedience, God said, I'm going to make sure that I make a way for you to make that right. I'm going to send my son. He'll pay for your sins. All you got to do, Dave, is accept what I've done for you. You don't have to earn it. You know why? Because you can't. You're the needy one. All you do is present me your need. That's all you do. You come to me and say, God, I'm needy. I cannot provide for myself. And God goes, I know. I have the resources, though. Would you like to be in my family? Would you like me to take the devastating effects of sin 
and erase it. I can do that. I'll do it for you. You just accept my offer. Wow. That's pretty incredible when you think about it. That's what Jesus did for us. See, that's how Jesus changed the world. Jesus came down in the middle of the world. He was that ship in the world. The world never got in him. But wherever he went, he changed the world around him. Because he knew God, he was God, he loved people. And then he says, Dave, I want you to do the same. You be in the world, I want you to love people, love me, walk with me. Oh, and never let my mercy or my grace escape your brain. Because that's why you can do this. You'll never get haughty, proud, if you understand my mercy and my grace. See, again, mercy and grace are different. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. So God says, you know, I don't want to give you what you deserve. I'll, I'll pay for that. Grace is getting more than you deserve. Two different concepts. I am saved. I'm in God's family because of his grace. I get to live in victory because, I mean, God's family because of his mercy. I get to live in victory because of his grace. See, his grace is my position. So if you come to me today and say, do you think you're privileged, Dave Wager? I would say, yes. Yeah, you think you don't? No, you can be privileged too. Why? Because I'm a child of the king. And I don't even deserve it. I came to him in this condition, this needy condition, and had nothing. And he took me in. He said, you're mine. And I said, wow, what a deal. And I became God's child at that That I became his child. Yeah? So now I'm just living like it. Now I'm living like his child. That's the grace. Titus 2, 11 through 13, for the grace of God that brings salvation, the grace of God, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, and it teaches, teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live soberly, righteously, and godly. A lot of people think, well, God's grace gives me license. That's not what that verse says. See, when I think of my position as a child of God, when I think about it, boom, position, child of God, me, whoa. I also think, I don't deserve that. Oh, but I have it. I have it. Oh, God, thank you. You did everything. I didn't do anything. I didn't do one thing. You did everything. All I did was say what was true. Yes, I'm needy. Yes, I'm sinful. Thank you for sending your son. Yes, I accept your gift. And I'm in your family. <sighs> A lot of people get that messed up. They still think, yeah, well, you got you to gotta put your trust in Jesus. Then you better act like it. Look, that, that's not consistent with Scripture. I am never going to be in God's family or kept in God's family because I behave. I am in God's family because of his mercy. His mercy, not mine. Not my obedience. Not my abilities. I'm in his family because of his mercy. For by grace, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you say through faith and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Oh, next comma, not by works. Why? Comma, so no man can boast. I can never tell you. I'm in God's family. I'm pretty. You know what I can tell you? I'm in God's family. He's pretty special. Not I'm pretty special. He's pretty special. I get to do and enjoy all the blessings of being a child of God and a co-heir with Jesus. That's what I get. You know, I'll tell you the truth is when I, when I got my job here in charge of camp, the reason I got it was because my dad was in charge and I was his son. It wasn't because I was qualified. I will tell you that oh, that is actually what happened. He came up here and worked all those years. I was his son. He could trust me. But 
those people who were more qualified that weren't his son, they weren't on the list. Because sonship trumps everything else. You may say, that's not fair. I don't really care. That's what happened. And in life with God, sonship trumps everything. I am a child of the king. Therefore, I can take what this world is throwing at me. I can take the gross and the ugly. I can filter it through my father. I can go to him any time and talk about people I'm, I'm sad about and situations. That are no good. I say I can take all the world's cares, all the stuff to my father. I can take them to him because I am his son who he actually wants to listen to. At any time, one of my daughters or my son-in-law can call me and I will rearrange my schedule and talk to them. They are my children. I am their dad. They have that privilege. And I have that responsibility. God will stop whenever I ask him and talk to me. And he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And I don't even deserve it, but he does. So what happens is I start acting in accordance with that. And that's his grace. I really hope that every man in this room has accepted God's gift. You really haven't. If you're still thinking, boy, I hope one day, when I get to God, I hope one day he weighs the good and the bad and the good outweighs the bad, and I'm, I'm there, man. You're going to be worn out in life because you'll never know whether you actually made it or not. How good is good enough? Because that's not how you get in God's family. Those people who do it right, the, the people who live this life with great purpose, who aren't going nowhere fast, are those who understand the fact that they're depraved, separated, and they accept the gift of God on the basis of his love. Not on the basis of my perfection or my desires, on the basis of his love and his provision. You know what's really cool about that? Have you ever been told when you were a kid, your parents tell you, you know, you want to be treated fairly and nothing's fair. <laughs> this is the only thing in life that is. Anyone that comes to God comes the same way. They understand they're sinful. I don't care what country they're from. I don't care what their background is. Everybody who comes to God comes the same way. They recognize that they're sinful and separated. They recognize that Jesus died for them and that God loves them, and they put their trust in Christ. And it's Christ who is the one who had the resource, not me. Man, if you've never done that, I, I really invite you to start that because that's the first step in healing our country healing your family, healing the diseases of our world, is to live in accordance with the way it was meant to be. And the way it was meant to be was for me to love God. That's the way it was meant to be. He didn't want me in a religious system. He doesn't want me in an arrangement with him. He wants me to allow him to love me, to enjoy his resources. Oh, I'm never going to be perfect. But I'm not God's child because I am. But understanding that makes me want to be perfect. See, that's the motivation for wanting to do right. And thinking about it is my motivation. If you've never put your trust in Christ, I invite you to. There's no magic formula, there's no right words. It's really coming to God and saying, yeah, I am sinful. Thank you. I put my trust in what your son did. I love you right now. I, I just want you to think. I, I just feel prompting of you just think. So I'd love you to bow your heads, close your eyes, just think. Think about your life.
Has there been a time in your life where you've, you've acknowledged the sin and you've placed your trust in Christ? Where you've really trusted him, not, not your religion, not the right words that you say, not, not the, but you've trusted him. You, you've put your trust in God's love for you and the blood of his son who died for you. You say, thank you. If you've never done that, I want to invite you right now in this quiet moment, talk to God. Accept his gift. There's no right words. He knows. Just talk to him. With your heads bowed, your eyes shut. So if you prayed that tonight, would you do me a favor? And just before I pray, connect your eyes with mine so I can pray for you as I close. Okay, thanks, thanks. Everyone else? Thanks. Everyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Looking at me doesn't do anything. I hope you know that. <laughs> Just so I could pray for you. I would also ask you if, you, if you came with somebody who's a believer, when you came, tell them. Tell them tonight, I, I just really put my trust in Christ. I enjoy the fact that God loves me, and I want to rest in that. And I'm telling you, the angels rejoice in that because they say, wow, that this whole gap is covered now. God loves you. You've accepted. This is, this is the way it's meant to be, by the way. You enjoy God. And the pressure's off you. You're not going to be perfect. You don't have to be. Oh, you know what? You're going to keep wanting to be more and more, though. Just because your father will help you. Father, we thank you for our time together. I thank you for these men who tonight understood your love and responded to you. We know that your mercy brings them into your family. And as they spend time in your word, and as they spend time with other believers, and they learn more about who you are, it's your grace that allow them to be more than conquerors in this life. Thank you, Father. Thank you for not making it about us because we can fail so easily. Thank you for making it about you. And forgive us for so often having us get in the way. Once again, for each of those tonight, whether they looked at me or not, that placed their trust in you, I ask your Holy Spirit to work in their hearts and draw them to yourself. Let them be excited about the love that you have for them and the potential that they have to live in the context of the way it's meant to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.